0: So Money, episode 544, Jeff Tennery, founder and CEO of the app Moonlighting. You're listening to So
1: Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30 minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh yourself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money.
0: Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Question for you, is this the year that you want to earn more money? Hmm? It's no secret that I'm a huge fan of making as much money as you can and want And for me and others, leveraging a side hustle to boost income is sometimes the best way to do it. Today's guest, Jeff Tennery, is the founder of Moonlighting, and it is the first nationwide mobile marketplace where anyone can hire or be hired in any community in the country. Jeff is a recognized expert on the gig economy, and he's been featured on many news outlets, including CNBC, The Wall Street Journal, Huffington Post. Before founding the company, Jeff spent over 25 years in senior executive leadership roles at Verizon, AT&T Wireless, and he's also got a great big family, five kids. So we're going to talk about how Jeff, of course, founded the company, why it's different than TaskRabbit and all the other sites out there, how he transitioned from corporate America to launching his own business how he and his wife manage money and their fabulously large family of seven, and where does he see this gig economy going? What are the top opportunities in the future? Here is Jeff Teneri. Jeff Teneri, welcome to So Money. You're going to help us all make more money, right? Let's do it. Show me the money, right? (laughs) Show me the money. Let's make the money. Uh, Tell me about Moonlighting. It's one of the newest technologies out there, apps to help us. Fill the gap, right? Fill that wage gap. As many of us are, you know, trying to put together a living. Whether we have that full time job, we have six jobs. Uh, this is the this is not just the future. This is the now. We need to start to really look at ways to piece together our income. And so, how does moonlighting? Uh, how does it fit in that mold?
1: Yeah. You know, a couple of years ago, we started out very much wanting to um, help people supplement income. You know, a lot of folks looked at Moonlighting and a lot of actually companies looked at Moonlighting. And it's like, I don't want my employees Moonlighting. I want them focused in on, on my, my job and my, my work. And what was, what's happened over the last 20 years has been so much wage stagnant, you know, no, not enough uh, wages and salary growth that people have to go out and find ways to supplement that income. And so with Moonlighting, we fill that gap For people that want to work on the side. Um, There's a lot of expenses in people's lives that uh, they're trying to uh, overcome. Uh, And one of the things that kind of drove me is I have uh, five children and education bills and and ways for people to save for college. And so I was motivated very much by helping people make extra money to be able to save and, and really get by.
0: So what kinds of jobs are we talking about on Moonlighting? And what are some of the qualifications? If someone's listening to the show right now and thinking, okay, I'm going to go start doing some side work through Moonlighting, how will they know if they're really right for it?
1: Well, you know what we did again, kind of cutting against the grain. You see a lot of these marketplaces for freelancers very much focused in on one particular genre, one particular vertical. With Moonlighting, we purposely wanted it to be open and very personal to whatever the types of services that you wanted to offer. So we have. Everything from fire jugglers and stilt walkers from the circus that are working on the side from an entertainment perspective all the way through web and tech designers and data scientists. It's really – it's taking a little slice of your time, like the idle time that um, a lot of folks have um, outside of that 40th hour of the work week and putting it really towards themselves and working and creating more of a a life independence on the work side.
0: Many of the sites like yours that – are now in existence. There's TaskRabbit, Fiverr, Elance, which I think has changed its name like four times. I don't know what it's called now, but um, uh, they. Oh. Were, <laughs> a lot of these sites were born or were grown. Uh, really uh, experienced a a growth spurt during the recession, which makes sense, right? People were losing their jobs. They needed to make money quickly. We are now 10 years out from that recession. So what's changed or what stayed the same? Because clearly this was not just a trend. This is kind of the way of the future.
1: Well, you know, going back and looking at 2008 when the market did crash and things corrected there, um, there were so many millennials that were caught in a really interesting, you know, uh, weird spot. They, were, they weren't they were able to come out, graduate and get jobs. Uh, the full-time job market, even though the economy's recovered and the stock market's recovered, full-time jobs, contrary to what I think people look at the the uh, jobs report, so many people have dropped out and that's where freelancing really was born. And they're really, you know, the, some of the contemporaries that you just mentioned, like TaskRabbit Handy and, and Upwork, they, they've done a nice job of filling the gap very much for, you know, the tech tech group or somebody who wants to um, run errands. But there's so like when you think about people's talents um, and all the skills that they have, especially millennials that that got caught up in this uh, this grind on the on the um, employment marketplace, they didn't have a place to go. And that's why you're seeing so many millennials driving the gig economy, because they are not you know fearful of you know being an entrepreneur or going out on their own and and uh, they also like it from a work life balance and being able to you know do things outside of work and work on multiple projects and it very much fits that uh, millennial bill.
0: Your background is in corporate America. You had leadership roles at Verizon and AT and T Wireless. So what brought you to entrepreneurship? Did you always have the bug or was what was the transition like?
1: Yeah, I did. I, I really thought I was going to start my own company about ten years ago, um, and then as you as you know, you mentioned earlier before the the economy you know really wasn't conducive to that. And I have five children, and it was not really good timing for me. So I got a chance to work with a company called Millennial Media um, in my last role, and uh, my friend started a company. We took it from zero to IPO in twenty twelve. And so that gave me the the, the uh, background to, like, learn and watch from, you know, an entrepreneur build a business, a very successful business. And so what I did is I took copious notes. Um, I was waiting. And really, I was inspired by Moonlighting in the recession um, as I looked at, boy, we need to create more ways for people to find jobs and create more of a marketplace that people can work on the things that they truly love working on.
0: Okay. So Moonlighting.com, I would imagine – it was already purchased, maybe, by the time you landed on it. Was there a bidding war for it?
1: It's so funny. The story there is I've had a couple investors that that, that actually were um, very uh, generous investors that were trying to buy it um, at Moonlime.com. We only acquired it um, just a few months ago. Uh, but one of our investors helped us kind of um, get that. Uh, and it was really interesting because, as you imagine, all of your Bruce Willis and your Sybil Shepard right. goats in the 80s. <laughs> Um, but we've, you know, moonlighting, um, I think it's becoming more and more of a popular, um, term as people look and consider not quite ready. I almost use the term bridge. They're not ready to jump into the gig economy a hundred percent because they've got, you know, a good paying job and something that's stable. It's really that ancillary in- income, that additional income, that gap there is really where they're struggling. And then I, I think just, you know, general work happiness and, and being, um, independent. We have a lot of Moonlighting moms we call them um, that like the idea of working from home and balancing um, you know the homestead and making sure that everything is running smoothly there and they actually use moonlighting not only to you know promote their services and skills but they use it and turn around and that's the interesting phenomenon about moonlighting is our moonlighters and freelancers hire other fellow moonlighters and freelancers and um, it's, it's a community effect to it and it's what's helped us you know grow to you know, over 300,000 users nationwide.
0: And the fees involved. Tell us how Moonlighting makes money. How did the fees get exchanged? Who's paying the fees?
1: Yeah, that was the other thing too that we were interested in watching. As you imagine, like in the early days, uh, we weren't monetizing at all. We were just interested in uh, bringing people to the platform and helping people. Um, We just introduced a new premium service um, we, we have a very unique uh, footprint and relationship around the internet and, and on mobile is that we have uh, three uh, of the largest local news media companies in Gannett, McClatchy, McClatchy and Tronc, um, where they're helping us market our business. And 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 what we're doing in turn is we're helping our moonlighters find new customers really quickly. So we have this really cool service um, that we charge only $19.99 a month for, which basically promotes and puts you in the gig economy it, puts uh, freelancers and it gives them a chance to be discovered by potential hires. And that's, that's how we're monetizing these days.
0: You'd mentioned earlier that in the older day, the olden days, com- employers would probably look down upon their full timers doing side gigs. Do you think that mentality is changing?
1: It, it I think it is not changing as fast as um, I, obviously a company like mine would like. Um, but I do think there's so much uh, employee dissatisfaction, especially when you think about your your larger corporations that are out there where, you know, the typical cost of living raise is is not equivalent to the amount of hours that uh, an employee works in corporate America. And I, I have this theory. I'm working on a book right now called The 41st Hour. And The 41st Hour is really um, the American worker taking back that um that request that comes to them and says, Hey, can you work overtime? Can you work late tonight? Can you work over the weekends? And they don't really get compensated for that. And it's not commensurate with the type of uh, hours they're putting in. And so um, I I think it's still slow, but it's, it's moving in the right direction. And I think freelancing is as a whole is pulling it in that direction because the dollars and, you know, the opportunities are becoming more and more readily available. And that's really what Moonlighting's number one mission is just to make and democratize and bring freelancing to everyone everywhere a lot of the companies you mentioned before, they, they only work in New York or they only work in San Francisco or they're, you know, they only work in the top 20 cities, which, you know, the population of the United States, 75% of the, the U.S. lives outside of a top, you know, 10 uh, to 15 markets. So how do they participate in in this whole freelance revolution? And that's, you know, one of our key missions.
0: You bring up an interesting point because I do think that with the freelance economy, it has given workers some confidence to leave their jobs without another one lined up because they can always find side gigs. They can always find ways to make money quickly to uh, keep the lights on, keep food on the table while they find their next, you know, sort of passion path. And maybe the moonlighting gig turns into something entrepreneurial, which would be the best case scenario. Jeff, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, you said, mentioned a couple of times you have five kids, you've worked in corporate America, and now you're an entrepreneur, you're a dad. Um all, given all of that context, what's your financial philosophy? Do you have a personal money mantra? Um, I
1: f- I'd say my mantra has been, you know, kind of slow and steady when I think about what I've done over the last, you know, 15 years in my career is um, I've been fairly conservative um, to the point of starting this company. Um, so I think the mantra for me is like, I I, I feel like I did a nice job. I'm 48 years of age. And, uh, and I waited, I think, for the exact right time to, to kind of make this jump in, take a chance. And I'm hoping that, you know, what we're doing is going to help, like, you're always kind of driven by what you what you do is I'm hoping that we can help people, you know, be ready to, to make a really good sound financial you know decision when it comes to their career. And I think having more choices is, is going to give people that, uh, that confidence that they need to kind of do hopefully what what I've done, which is, you know, look for that right time to take a chance.
0: What made you think it was the right time? I mean, there's never any certainty, right? When you're starting a business and certainly when you're, you know, a a household of seven (laughs) uh, plus five kids, you know, it's, there are a lot of considerations to make. So what, what signaled to you that this was, you know, now or never essentially?
1: I had been, you know, for the seven years I was working for that startup that we took public millennial media, I had been b- very careful with my finances. So I had, you know, I didn't know if it was going to take me three, four five years. In this case, I actually worked there seven years, um, but I was just being meticulous with my savings and, and putting myself in a position where it, what, what. The trigger for me was I had I had the um, dollars to be able to go do this because, as you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm not you know taking much of a salary from the company. I'm putting all the the resources back into the company, so that's really what it was. Just uh, it was a savings plan that I had in my mind. I have a poster up in my office of Shawshank Redemption, Redemption which is another you know one of my favorite movies, and. um, there is that, you know, the whole concept of being just patient and knowing kind of your moment, like the jailbreak scene. Right. Um, but it's, it's the same thing for me as I was working hard and kind of putting myself in a position. I had thought I'd do it earlier in my career and not waiting till I was 46 because Moonlighting's two years old now. So I, I just really was just trying to be patient and, and pick my moment and, you know, opportunistic uh, moment. And that just happened to be 2014.
0: What about growing up? Tell me what about you know where you grew up and how that might have influenced your financial lens on things.
1: Yeah, you know I grew up um, in the New York metropolitan area. I was you know born in Manhattan, moved out to Long Island for my early years, and I did high school out in New Jersey. My dad was a uh, a long time telecommunications exec, so that Apple did not fall far from the tree with me in my early years of working with uh, Verizon and AT and T. Um, so. You know, my, my father is uh, a great inspiration to me, worked really hard. My mom worked uh, at a hospital as a, as an, a nurse. And so it was really one of those kind of things where I, I was raised uh, to work hard, uh, definitely to uh, to save and be, you know, be diligent. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where um, I love growing up around the New York area. I'm in Virginia now, so I miss uh, not being up there. But it's, uh, it's one of those things where I'm just very grateful because I think, you know, one of the great things about growing up in that area is just the, the amount of... Uh, Things you're exposed to, and I think that's uh, that's something I was just exposed to wireless communications and this whole technology. I I climbed up the first cell towers back in the '80s um, uh, as as cellular just was being born, and here I am on kind of this other backside of it of like creating something in mobile that I think can make an even farther, greater impact to people's lives.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, who would have thought that we could just find a job using? Uh, a device that's as big as, a, like, a piece of meat. <laughs> that was a weird image. That's, I'm really yeah, bad at the I, end. I remember testing,
1: imagery. like, the first, you know, cell phones uh, on the lawn of the White House uh, back, like, in the 80s, and it was, you know, with, with a huge, you know, suitcase phone and, and dragging it around. And so, like, yeah, I've come kind of, like, I've been able to see mobile kind of grow up, and, you know, I was exposed to it early, and thank God I appreciate my dad giving me that opportunity.
0: What would you what say, would, say was your... Um, so many moment. Well, let's do failure first, because why not? We're talking to an entrepreneur here. You're not afraid of failure. I want to know what was your biggest misstep, either with your personal finances, which sounds like maybe there's not a big juicy story there, if you've been always a saver, uh, or your entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't. I, this is kind of my second
1: entrepreneurial play, and I, again, I was uh, fortunate. My friend started the previous company. So He. He carried the burden more than I did. But um, I would say kind of a failure perspective is, you know, I think I got in the uh, 2000s, I definitely got caught up in the, uh, you know, the uh, investing in my house kind of thing. And I took out a second mortgage um, to do that. And I, now I kind of, you know, I'm older and wiser and I kind of reflect a little bit and said, God, I'm not sure that was, that wasn't the best investment um, to be made. But I know a lot of people got caught up in that you know, the real estate mania, right, in the 2000s. And so I I think I look back at that now and I think now that uh, being an entrepreneur too, I'm even living more modestly and being careful with every nickel. And I kind of look back now a little bit, like, ashamed at times. Like, why did I think that way? Or why did I invest in that piece of, like, materialistic thing that maybe I wish I wouldn't have...
0: What are the tough decisions that you have to make now with running the business? I mean, really, you probably have to answer to a million questions a day. But what keeps you up at night?
1: You know, I think the thing that keeps me up at night is like any entrepreneurs, we have this, uh, this moment in time where we're, we've had great success in the first two years. And you know, you're know, you like, okay, well, what's kind of like a bit of like, a, you feel like a magician. Like, what's the next trick? What are you going to pull out? Like, what's the next great thing that you're doing. And, um, so I think the thing that keeps me up at night is just, you know, what is that next, you know, I'm a fairly you know creative leader and I'm hoping that, uh, there's new ideas that are coming. And, you know, one of the things that we're, we're contemplating now is a, uh, a reality, um, digital reality series that would feature the very users that are on our platform, the people that have the most interesting stories. And so that's on the top of my mind right now is I, I love the concept of like people being showcased that are real and, um, you know, we're calling it kind of like moonlighting real tales from the gig economy. And I think the, the idea of like maybe uh star making a bit, like, you know, these people could become uh, successful, not only just the stars, but really their business could take off the ground based on what we're doing. I, that's something that uh, it's got, it, it's top of mind for me. I'm not sure it's keeping me up at night, but it's just the excitement and just, you know, that being another kind of evolution for moonlighting, I think would is, uh, is really exciting.
0: All right. So many moments, something you're super proud of. I'm sure your kids are kind of getting quite the experience, like the front row to uh, dad becoming an dad being entrepreneurial.
1: Yeah. When we kicked off the company, you know, like uh, when we actually launched it back in October of 2014, um, we had a big event here in Virginia. We had like 250 people and, you know, I got a chance to get up there and, you know, give a speech and, and, and introduce the company. And, you know, the news was there, media was nice. And so I have five kids, two are in college, one high school, and then uh, two in the, the lower le- lower elementary side. And, you know, it's just interesting when you can tell when your kids are looking at you when they're not thinking you're crazy. And then there's times when your kids look at you and they're actually very proud. And I think that that probably was one of those shining moments where I was like, you know, for being so old on the entrepreneurial side of starting this for the first time, and probably my kids hearing me talk about it for so many years too, and not having done it. it was a sense of fulfillment and, you know, uh, that, that my kids were learning. And then since we started it, all my kids, as you would imagine, everything from bait, you know, babysitting and, and selling cookies and, you know, shoveling driveways, you, you name it, they've, they've been moonlighting. And so, you know, they, that's part of, I guess, being a tenary is you have the Teneri child, you have to, you have to contribute by moonlighting yourself.
0: Absolutely. I mean, uh, (laughs) that's one thing about being in college. It's like, you know, there's never enough money ever. Uh, (laughs) and so, uh, have your kids taken on some side gigs? Have they had jobs since they were younger? What kind of, um, financial modeling have you done for them?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I, in, in, in my, you know, career, again, going back to it, I set up, you know, 529s very early, um, and, and often and, and made a real commitment to the education, uh, very, very early in my, you know, parenting, um, so my, yeah, my kids all have jobs, They work, um, uh, my, my daughter's on a train right now, working hard to get another job. Uh, she's coming up to New York for some interns for the summer. And so, yeah, there's a good work ethic. I think too, when you're part of a large family you're, and then your dad becomes an entrepreneur, I think they see how hard I'm working and that you know, they, they take, you know, after that. So, um, yeah, the, the, and then we live in, you know, where, uh, Moonlighting is based in Charlottesville, Virginia, where we are. University of Virginia, a wonderful school that has um, a ton of students who have also you know we built the first application by using students to run around uh, Charlottesville and actually do all sorts of different types of uh, tasks and uh, so yeah it's a definite it's a it's a popular application for for kids who are looking to supplement their uh, their beer and pizza money
0: beer and pizza and oh man, so much more I don't miss college <laughs> calling my parents at midnight for more money. That was, uh, when I learned to start making my own, I did actually love making my own money as a high school student, but, uh, I just, you know, I think it was when I went abroad. Do any of your kids, have any of your kids traveled overseas?
1: They have. My oldest is actually a Spanish major. And so she spent the summer <laughs> in, uh, in Spain, uh, last summer and, and, uh, you know, fluent and, uh, very proud of, uh, and she's pursuing, um, you know, Hispanic, uh, and bilingual opportunities, uh, for her. Wonderful. Intro. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh, I was in Paris, and uh, as one would be in Paris, the money escapes you all the time. Uh, but uh, you know, I quickly learned. All right, let's talk about your habits, Jeff. What are some things that you do habitually with your money to keep your finances in check?
1: Well, I uh, I'm not a big uh, I don't take out a lot of cash. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's uh, I, I don't really you know not. Fearful of being mugged, but it's just so much of if I have cash, whenever I have like large, you know, and have in the past, um, it seems to go pretty quickly. So I, I'm pretty anti-cash, um, which I know a lot of a lot of people rely on plastic, which could uh, be problematic at times. But that's you know my my habit is you know consistently making sure that you know my my income is always kind of kind of contributing to you know the overall you know family family nut. So, um, from, a, from, you know, I don't do any, I don't splurge, um, on any, I do like to go to dinner. I think if there's one thing that I do kind of, uh, uh, I like to take you. know, whenever I'm out, I always feel very uncomfortable if I'm not like throwing the credit card down for <laughs> for uh, for the room and always kind of like fighting for the check kind of thing. But I always try to uh, I probably have that as a bad habit where I like to buy people lunch or dinner or drinks.
0: sure so your friends love this habit
1: they do. and but my wife hates it, so, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, remind me to go out to eat with you next time. <laughs> well, you know, I think that um with going back to the whole you know anti-cash philosophy. I think there is some truth to that, although there's been a lot of studies too that show how when we use credit cards, we're more likely to spend more because it's not as painful, right? You're just swiping or dipping as it as it is today. Whereas cash, especially those bigger bills like the 50s, the crisp $50 bills or even a crisp 20 can sometimes make you think twice, three times before, you know, buying something Arguably frivolous at the grocery store, or at the mall, you know, it's just one of those things. But now we do so much of our shopping online. It's sort of, I wonder how that statistic is really shaping up these days.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, the other thing too is we, do, when we're not, you know, indulging out eating like the family, we do a lot of meals at home and kind of, you know, do your mac and cheese and things that, uh, you know, offset the uh, more luxurious bill that you have to try to get by. Yes.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's do some so many fill in the blanks, Jeff. Are you ready? This is when you f- finish the sentence that I start, but don't overthink it. Sometimes yes get stumped because they want to give like the perfect answer. And that's not the point. We want to know what's really going on in your brain. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> if I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is...
1: Um, if I won the lottery, I I would love to teach. I, you know, if I wasn't, you know, out chasing the dollar and keeping the, uh, the family unit running, uh, I would, I would love to, and I, and I sadly teachers don't, are not paid enough and I, but I would love to teach. I love to work with young people and, and teach. So that's something that I would love to do that what, I know I could afford to do as, as opposed to, uh,
0: now. What would you teach?
1: I would love to teach an entrepreneurial class to mm-hmm. teach people that kind of have the, you know, the nerve and the guts to go for it.
0: Nice. We need more of that for sure. I didn't get any of that training in school. <laughs> uh, when I uh, spend money to make my life easier or better, the first thing I spend on is
1: um, I'm quick to. I probably eat that going back to eating out thing. Um, I probably, you know, for me, it's uh, just easier for me. Although I could be packing lunches and doing things that probably be more fiscally uh, responsible, but I'm, I like to like to indulge that way.
0: I guess that's also your splurge, right? That's right um cool one thing i wish i had learned about money growing up is
1: um i thought and made it an interesting you know I would say mistake but i i thought i made a lot of money back you know in the early 2000s and i kind of laugh about it now because it was not a lot of money but it was a lot of money to me at the time so i kind of thought if i just put that money away and don't touch it because that's always a hard thing to do too when you have a big family <laughs> um so yeah i i would uh I would say that um, I made the, you know kind of the, mis- the mistake of like assuming that I you know, that a, a certain dollar amount would actually you know carry me into some of these bigger. I still have weddings to go and other things of that nature uh, to save for. So um, yeah, I think probably that that would be my my approach.
0: And then uh, when I donate, I like to give to blank because.
1: Um, I would say that um, I have donated just a lot to Goodwill. Um, I've been, you know, one of the things too with having such a large family of consumption as you imagine is I always want to make sure that the stuff that we are not using um, gets to Goodwill. So I spent a lot of time at Goodwill.
0: Goodwill is sort of like, it can be such a treasure hunt, right?
1: It is. It's funny. You go in and you can look at stuff and go, wow, I I was supposed to kind of be, you know, relinquishing things. There are some very cool things that you're like, I could use that, especially when you're doing the drop-off. For sure.
0: I did a piece on this guy. He's called the Garage Sale Millionaire. I've actually had him on the show before, Aaron Lapidus. and he has quite the eye uh, for you know other people's junk, turning them into treasure. Like he, he and I went into a Goodwill, or maybe it was a, I think it was Goodwill, and he said, you know, hey, this um, this particular piece of glass, he knew immediately, like. You know, it was hand blown and it was like $3. He's like, I think you could sell this on eBay for like $46, 45 And, you know, it's like, you got to be around those people whenever you're at these uh, secondhand stores. That's, That's right. <laughs> Go good to <laughs> Goodwill, you know, donate some stuff, get your tax write off, but then also make some money. Not That's right. <laughs> um, all right. Last but not least, I'm Jeff Tenery. I'm so money because.
1: I am so money because I am truly dedicated to trying to help people you know make more money you know make money and, and move their their lives forward in a way that um, they don't need to rely on you know a big company or corporation I think you know that being self in you know self employed and independent it's been hard to do that for a lot of folks and I'm really hoping that uh that we can we can change that.
0: I love that goal. You know, we talk about it a lot on this show that saving is important, budgeting is important, tracking your money is important. But after a certain point, if your employer isn't paying you enough and you've asked for the raise more than once, then you have to take matters in your own hand. And fortunately, we have this growing, expanding, robust gig economy thanks to sites like yours that are helping us tap into. Uh, income and in- interesting jobs you know at the basically at the top of a finger so love it keep it going we look forward to seeing how the site blossoms continues to grow and wishing you a great 2017 Jeff.
1: Great thank you so much for having me
0: Thanks so much to Jeff for stopping by the site is called moonlining.com and Jeff is on Twitter at J Teneri. If you've got any questions for me, just hop on to somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh, where you can leave your question. You can also leave a voicemail, click on SpeakPipe. Do that. We'd love to hear from you. And if you missed any of this, of course, at the site, somoneypodcast.com, you can download the episode. You can download the transcript. It's all there for you for free. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money.